Delkin, and this is On The Line, a podcast where I call friends of mine living around the country to talk all things NBA deep dives, drafts, uh, news from around the league. Thanks for tuning in. If you're new to the show, you can tweet at me at onthelinepod. underscore pod. I'm on Instagram. You can send me any of your NBA questions, your real life or fantasy basketball questions at onthelinepod at gmail.com. Last, if you could please rate, review, and subscribe to the show in iTunes, wherever you get podcasts. I greatly appreciate it. All right, we're back on the line. Hope you guys have had a good week. Um, yeah, it's been a really amazing couple of weather days here in New York City, so I hope wherever you're listening to the show, it's been just as good for you. Um, on today's pod, we're going to do another deep dive looking at one of the more fun, infamous teams from the last decade or two, uh, the Portland Trailblazers, dubbed the Portland Jailblazers. We're going to talk to my friend Marty Michael. Marty is a Portland native. He is the co-founder of the podcast network HeadGum. He's a diehard Trailblazers fan living in Los Angeles, so let's hop into it. Uh, let's give a call to the one, the only, Marty Michael. All right, so we are uh, we are we are on the line. We're back with uh, Oregon native Marty Michael. M- Marty's on the line. Marty, what's good? How you doing? How you feeling? I'm good. I'm feeling good. Really excited to get this this going. Marty, we are talking today. We are deep diving on the infamous Portland Jailblazers, a squad that you grew up watching, guys that you're quite familiar with. Just first off, like when I mention the Jailblazers, anything that immediately comes to mind, like gut reaction, first impression, anything like that? Uh, yeah. There's a lot, really. But, yeah. I mean, okay, look. I grew up in Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. There was only one professional sports team growing up. That's And right. that's not trying to throw shade at the AAA Beavers. Uh, <laughs> but of the four major sports, yeah. there was only one in Portland. Right. Um, that was the Portland Trailblazers, the NBA. You know, we've made a lot of effort to try and get an uh, MLB team. The closest NFL team yeah. is the Seahawks in Seattle. Yeah. Um, so... Are the Oregon you know, Ducks? I have a question. Are the Oregon Ducks a basically like pro sports? In, like they are they that important in the community and stuff? Yes, but you have to remember there's a, there's a few reasons as to why basketball is so important and the Ducks are so important in yep. Portland, and that is Nike. Nike uh, being in the backyard. Yeah. So Nike basically funds and fuels all of the marketing efforts that happen for the University of Oregon Ducks. That's right. why they have all the best equipment. That's why right. they have the best stadiums right locker rooms and everything um the same thing started to happen when like right around well earlier than the jailblazers period but it really helped propel basketball in portland because of what nike was doing in the space and because it was our hometown brand so everyone loved it right okay but you asked is there one story that jumps yeah just like an impression just like gut reaction when you think of the jailblazers like you said you were in eighth grade during the 2000 playoff run right yes um yeah just anything that jumps to your head uh when, when i say jailblazers well my favorite story yeah out of that era uh my hero of that team is damon stoudemire i i was small i played point guard i was scrappy that's like what i loved about him um mighty he, mouse yeah <laughs> yes he went to the airport to fly yeah uh went through Tucson. security with marijuana wrapped in tin foil <laughs> through the metal detector and yeah. it yeah. just always struck me as such like a power move almost like he knew it was gonna happen and he didn't care totally. maybe he was high at the time i mean it's really funny in retrospective we're like now you go to the portland airport and it just smells like a weed dispensary right because <laughs> marijuana is 100 percent legal in oregon right, right but right. at the time it's like he just like how 
so, oblivious can you be? I mean, this is the summer of 2003. Damon Stoudemire was arrested at the Tucson airport trying to bring an ounce and a half of weed onto a commercial flight. Um, again, Wrapped like, in tinfoil. This is, tinfoil. This is not, you <laughs> know, it, nowadays it doesn't seem like the hugest infraction. Marijuana use is like very commonplace, right? But in this is post 9-11, 2003, where like you basically couldn't get on a flight without being like strip searched by TSA agents. It's sort right. of unconscionable and so freaking ballsy of this guy to bring weed wrapped in tinfoil onto a commercial flight and then send it through a standard metal detector. Um, It's just, it was, what a move, man. What a move. So, and um, it's an ounce, it's an ounce and a half of weed. It's not like a small amount of tinfoil, right? You can't, it's not not like one sheet. You got to really wrap that up. It's it's a brick. That's a substantial amount of weed. Yeah. Um, All right. So first off, let's talk about the nickname, the jailblazers. So uh, let's talk the origins of that. So for, for uh, the audience that's listening, maybe they don't uh, know the reference, whatever, but basically during the late nineties, early two thousands, after several like high High, uh, high profile players on the on the Portland Trailblazers had run in, run-ins with the law. Uh, fans and media kind of dubbed the team the Jailblazers. Many of the infractions, as Marty just said, were kind of marijuana related. A couple of the big high profile ones were with Rasheed Wallace and Damon Stoudemire. Um, they were often like the the uh, the culprits. And uh, I read this quote from this guy Jason Quick, who is a Trailblazers beat writer for the Oregonian. He said once that. Um, there, <laughs> there was one year with the team where the longest stretch when a player wasn't arrested, suspended by the league, the team, or the police weren't called to a home was 17 days long. So the jailblazers are considered one of the more dysfunctional teams of all time, if not the most dysfunctional team. Um, so and it, didn't, it wasn't just off the court. No. Like on the court, there was so much happening, too. Oh, I yeah, mean, man. Rashid Wall. This is before they changed the technical rules. So, yes. like back then, you could get as many technicals as you wanted, and right. nothing really came of there it. There were no I mean, maybe small fines. I yep. forget exactly what they were, but yep. now you get suspended. Like I think it's I forget how many it is, but then you have to miss games, and then it, it sort of yeah uh, compounds itself where you're missing more and more games depending on how many you get. So yeah. before that happened. Rasheed Wallace <laughs> set the record like four years in a row. Oh, yeah. Was, oh, do, you, yeah. do you have the number? I think it's something like in the 40s, right? Yeah. He, uh, his first, that he set a record for, uh, I have his all time number, but he was averaging 30 plus technicals uh, a year. And then in 2000, <laughs> in 2000, 2001, he had 41 to- in total. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, he was just a temperamental guy, <laughs> feuding with the refs. He gained a reputation. Some of it was fair, some of it, wa- it you know, it wasn't. But it got it got carried away. And he, you know, for fans of the modern game, like what Boogie Cousins is now, Rashid like blew that out of the water. I mean, it was like right. he couldn't go a game without getting teed up. But well, well um, they changed the rules. They changed course, the rules they changed it for him. him. They changed yeah. it for him. Uh, can right. we set some parameters here on on the period of time that we're talking in in Trailblazers history? So the Jailblazers. I read online are sort of commonly referred to as the teams from 2000 to 2003. But I don't know if you have an opinion about this. It really seemed to sort of maybe stretch and bleed a little bit before that and a little later. I, I really, I kind of bookend the, the, the Jailblazers as like, you know, that team that went and lost to the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals and then kind of bookending it at Zach Randolph being traded. Um, sure. 
you know, I, I, I know, um, you know, like I said, it's, they're commonly referred to as the 2000 to 2003 uh, uh, jailblazers. But um, for me, Zach Randolph is like one of the key figures on that team. Right. You know, I, that 1999-2000 season yeah. ended with one of the most difficult uh, adolescent experiences of my life. Yeah. Let's talk that, about it. Yeah. I'm in eighth grade. Mm-hmm. How how old does that make me? That's uh, what are you like thirteen something? Yeah, like that? thirteen, yeah. fourteen years old. Yep. Uh, I'm gonna. So this is we're going into Game Seven of the Western Conference mm-hmm. Finals. The winner is going to play the Indiana Pacers in the yep. finals, who yep. have Reggie Miller, but aren't really stacked accordingly. Basically, whoever makes it to the finals is going to win the NBA championship out of the West. And this is the way it was for a long time. The East just didn't have anybody. Uh, I mean, it's still kind of like that, but. Obviously, the Cleveland with LeBron, and they had a few runs at it, and obviously won. Um, but you know, this was just how it was for a long time. The Western Conference would make it to the finals, and they would sweep and or win four two. And so Jordan had retired right at this point. Yeah. So Jordan's out of the league in '98, right? That was the last ninety. The '98 uh, Bulls team was the last one that won a title. He retires for the second time, and then it's it's basically the Western Conference. It's like you know all the powerhouses in the Western Conference: Kobe and Shaq on the Lakers. Rashid and and uh, and Damon Stoudemire and the Blazers, Carl Malone and Stockton with the Jazz, um, yep. they were they were just loaded in the Wests. Yeah. So let me paint the setting really quick. Yep. I'm at a I'm with a few friends from middle school. We're at one of uh, this one of our friends lived in I don't even know what else to call it like a historic mansion in the oh, hills wow. of West. Portland. Uh, okay. It had an elevator. The elevator is where I had my first kiss. It's like wow. a very magical, mythical, beautiful place. We're in the attic. His father had just bought a brand new flat screen TV that was huge. It's one of those ones, you know, that was probably just as deep as it was <laughs> yes. wide yeah, back yeah. then. <laughs> right. And it really couldn't see back. I mean, nothing yeah. was HD, so you couldn't really see. It, 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 as the screen got bigger, you could see less, <laughs> right? Because right? it was just stretching the same image. It's Standard like definition. Pulled, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right, right. Not a great experience, but it was cool <laughs> that it was so big and it had the speaker system attached. Anyway, we're in this attic. There's four of us. We're watching this game. I mean, uh, quarter by quarter, we're playing great. We fast forward heading into the fourth quarter. We're up, I think, 18 points, right? At the start of the fourth. At the start now, of the fourth? Yeah, I think it at was the start of the At the start of the fourth. Yeah. That quarter was one of the worst quarters in Trailblazer history. Uh, my excitement went from 150% down to 0% in within 12 minutes. And at the end, you know, with... The infamous Kobe throwing to Shaq alley-oop that plays on NBA history TV all the freaking time. But that was like the backbreaker. I started crying uh, in front of my friends, so disappointed, just at the the knowing that we were 12 minutes away from winning an NBA championship in the year 2000. Dude, the team was loaded. That you know, one thing uh, I spent the last few days researching for this pod and just like looking at that roster, the one thing that really strikes me about those Blazers team is just how deep they were, man. I mean, like Jermaine it, O'Neal. Jermaine O'Neal was like a small cog in that team. You know, he 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 was like he had, he was like a role player. It was just crazy. Right. I mean, the the Blazers began the 99-2000 offseason by acquire by acquiring Scottie Pippen from the Houston Rockets. They landed Steve Smith from the Hawks. Uh, they traded off J.R. Ryder and Jim Jackson for Steve Smith. They signed Detlef Schremp. They went yep. 59 and 23. They were the number three seed in the West behind the Lakers and the Jazz. Rashid was an all-star. 
Um, and then, you know, they just blitzed through the first couple rounds of the playoffs. They they defeated the T-Wolves 3-1 in the first round. They beat the Jazz 4-1 in the second round. And they were, they were down to the Lakers 3-1. They came all the way back. And, you know, it was just a heartbreaking loss in Game 7. They were up 15 points with 10 minutes left in Game 7. And, um, and the Blazers just... They just suffered a 15-0 run by the Lakers that tied the score, and then the rest is history. Like you said, the infamous alley-oop, Kobe to Shaq, and uh, away we go. I mean, you know, I, I don't know how you feel about the game now in hindsight. A lot of people point to that game as, um, you know, when, when, when they uh, talk about officiating uh like problems with officials and that games were rigged, Tim Donahue and that whole issue. A lot of people point to like the disproportionate number of free throws that the Lakers took as evidence that the refs had fixed the game. The Lakers took 37 free throws to 16 by the Blazers. Um, And I don't know if you remember this, but two of Portland's key players, two of the key cogs, Scottie Pippen and Arvidas Sabonis, they both fouled out. And they were guys who were defending Shaq. And, you know, Scotty, for his career, only averaged three fouls a game. So a lot of people point at that moment as, like, the game was fixed. I don't think that's totally fair. Um, I mean, the the Blazers definitely blew the game, but it didn't help that, you know, like, they had to cover a 300-pound Shaq with 6'8", Brian Grant. Yeah, but and and we had I mean Arvidas Sabonis was like you know 108 years old but the the, the yep. thing is look I I despise the Lakers as a Blazer fan of I, course you know anything I nice I say about them is loaded with some other thought but I will say this that Shaquille O'Neal in his prime I think is the best player of all time in the NBA most unstoppable like he at his prime there was no one that could stop what he was doing and it's pretty evident in the amount of championships he won in LA and then was able to go to Miami and win another championship. Now, he's always been surrounded by very, very good players, Kobe Bryant, Dwayne Wade, but his ability to play basketball unstopped is unparalleled from what I've seen. Okay, maybe way, way back in the day, like with people that I don't, I really yeah. get to see too often, but in a modern league, it's unreal what he was able to do. Can you kind of put your finger on it as to why? I mean, for me, the most obvious thing is just like physically, there was no one that looked like him. There was, there was no, no one that had like the footwork of uh, that guy at his size and strength. I mean, he was just brute force. If you tossed him the ball in the paint, it was, you know, game over. He had that powerful spin move, that like tornado move back to the basket, just spin around and like rip down the rim kind of thing. Right. And uh, there was just no one that could play him. You know, it was just hack a shack. That was that was really the only defense was just put him on the on the free throw line. Right. And that's any guy that you get in the NBA who then causes a rule change uh, has is doing something right. Yeah. For so sure. uh, he just yeah. I mean, it's power mixed with speed. Like, yeah. The guy wasn't slow. He, he, anybody that size has never been that fast. Yeah, uh, you, it's like it's like physically impossible. It's like really if LeBron was three hundred <laughs> instead of two sixty, yeah. was an offensive lineman and, yeah. and seven yeah. one. Yeah. yeah, I mean like it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's it's amazing how much speed he was back. Now his career, his peak career was uh, I think shorter than what we're seeing out of LeBron because of his pure size. Yes, but. He really was at the time. I mean, yeah, gosh, I mean, there just was, was nothing he, like him. He was the nemesis. I mean, certainly for the Trailblazers, but for the rest of the league. And you know, in the le- in, in the years that followed ninety nine two thousand, that ninety nine two thousand run, the Blazers had teams that were good, but they never really achieved the same level of 
playoff success is that 99-2000 team. I mean, that was like really the gold standard, and that was the year they should have made the finals and won it. And in 2000-2001, right. Uh, the following year, they were 15-32. They were the seventh seed. They were swept by the Lakers in the first round. The following, the year after that, 2001-2002, they were 49-33, a sixth seed. Again, swept by the Lakers in the first round. 2002-2003, 15-32, the sixth seed. And uh, they were trailing 3-0 to the Dallas Mavericks, made a comeback, and then lost in game seven in the first round against, uh, against Dallas. So, um, you know, it was kind of like a ho-hum, uh, few years there for the jailblazers. Um, and you know, it kind of, it started with such promise that 99, 2000 team, and they just really kind of fell off after that. So, I mean, we get, we, this, this list of people who are on these teams is just, I mean, it's a cast of characters, right? Like you have Ruben Patterson who in an interview said he's the Kobe stopper. I mean, I know we're just talking about Shaq, but like no one, like Kobe, it's just crazy. This guy just trying to play mind games with probably the best mind game player the NBA has ever seen outside of uh, maybe uh, Kevin Garnett. So like, I mean, who knows? Zach Randolph, we used to call him the laser. His shot was just so straight and on point. Uh, Quintel Woods with the braids. I mean, Sean Kemp, I don't even think Sean Kemp played a game for the Blazers. He just got paid (laughs) like he did. Yeah. He got paid like he played for 15 seasons. Didn't he come over on like some absorbent contract? Yeah, he came over from the Cavs, if memory serves correct. And uh, he clicked, I think he pretty quickly had to go to drug rehab. Um, I mean, yeah. During I'm, the season. During the season. I'm looking at that Unheard 99, of. that 99, 2000 uh, Blazers roster. Here it is. Greg Anthony, Stacey Ogman, Brian Grant, Gary Grant, Antonio Harvey, Joe Klein, Jermaine O'Neal, Scotty Pippen, Arvita Sabonis, Detlef Schremp, Steve Smith, Damon Stoudemire, Rasheed Wallace, and Bonzi Wells. I mean, those last, like, seven names that I said, I mean, that, that, that is stacked. Bonzi, Rasheed, Damon, Steve Smith, Detlef Schremp, Arvita Sabonis, Scotty Pippen, Jermaine O'Neal, Tossin, Greg Anthony, Stacey Ogman, Brian Grant. I mean, they were, they were loaded, man. They were so deep. Brian Grant, the Rasta monster. Oh, that's Jesus. right. We had nicknames for everybody. Man, this is... It's going to start making me cry again. The good old days. <laughs> yeah. All right. So here are some of what I decided were some of the uh, key jailblazer players. Some of the guys that had the big off-the-court off incidents and on-court incidents. Ruben Patterson, uh, Zach Randolph, Quintel Woods, Sean Kemp, Bonzi Wells, Rasheed Wallace, J.R. Ryder, Isaiah Ryder, and uh, Damon Stoudemire. J.R. Ryder was kind of before... Um, you know, things really took off, but I thought it was important to maybe just just uh, make mention of him. Why don't we go through some of the more notable on and off court issues, the trials and tribulations for some of these guys? And uh, we, why don't we start with maybe Rashid Wallace? He was uh, Rashid Wallace was suspended seven games once for threatening a referee, Tim Donaghy, for uh, in in a loading dock at the at the Rose Garden after a game against Memphis. Do you recall this? Does this ring a bell? No, no. I mean it doesn't. But I just it doesn't <laughs> surprise me. So, I, I found it so funny. Like the details of it being a loading dock made me chuckle. Like this of course is that's like where he went. So it's January fifteenth. We're at the Rose Garden. Um, the Blazers are playing the Memphis Grizzlies. Rashid gets teed up for, uh, he gets called for a foul and he throws the ball at uh, referee Scott Wall. But Scott Wall has his back turned to Rashid, so he throws him the ball. Tim Donahue sees this, thinks he's like pegging him, and tees him up. 
So Rashid's like freaks out. He's like, I was just tossing him the ball. He had his back turned. I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't mean anything. So after the game, Rashid's signing autographs. By the way, he had like 38 points, 10 rebounds. He's like signing autographs in the Rose Garden, in the loading dock, talking with a couple of the Grizzlies players. And who walks out but Tim Donahue and a couple of the other refs. So Rashid screams at him, yo, that was a bullshit call, and I'm going to get my money back. And then Donahue screams back at him, watch the tape. And then <laughs> Rashid Wallace does not take shit from anyone. So he like tosses his arm up and is like, what'd you just say to me? He's like, you watch the tape. No, you watch the tape. Then Rashid steps towards him, raises his arms, and is like, I'm going to kick your ass, you punk ass mother effer. And then uh, the league stepped in because they considered it like a, a dangerous threat. So he was suspended seven games. Um, the two had to be separated. Rashid became an easy target for refs following that. And, it, you know, it, it just it stayed with him the rest of his career. Like I said, I, I, he, he was always always having 30 plus techs every season. That one year he had 41. You know, it's funny. I met it's I met Rashid Wallace recently. Really? Uh, by happenstance and he, he was so quiet and shy and reserved compared to the other people and NBA players that I was yeah. around at that moment and I I almost get it right like when you're on the basketball court you're so such a different person like you turn on and off yeah totally now, man yeah he he was one of those guys who just had that edge and would turn on on the court and he just wanted to play his style game and when people tried to take that away from him he snapped totally uh and he's just not the person he is off the court so it's so funny that we only get to see yeah. one version of these guys when i see him on tv now on tnt he just seems like a goofy kind of like stonery guy like he just seems like a really sweet guy that's kind of goofy um but on the court he was a menace and he just like played with his heart in, on his sleeve and um we'll we'll get to the trade but it was really fun to see him get to win a title with the pistons because he he really became like one of the most I don't know, fun, fan-friendly guys in the league because he he just played with so much heart. I think that was like the most relatable thing about Rashid that like he just played the game. He just seemed like a very authentic guy. Yeah. The other incident we should talk about is Damon Stoudemire and uh, she got once got pulled over for smoking weed in a yellow Hummer on the way home from playing a game against the Supersonics. So this yes. is in November 2002. Uh, after a win against the Sonics, Stoudemire and Wallace, uh, they decide to forego getting on the team bus and they get in uh, Damon's totally inconspicuous canary yellow Hummer. Uh, now, <laughs> keep in mind, this was, this was in the early 2000s. George W. Bush was president. We were on the verge of going to war with Iraq. The price of gas was like at an all-time high. And in the environmentally conscious Pacific Northwest, people weren't like too crazy about individuals driving gas guzzling SUVs. Oh so, my god, they were we people would throw tomatoes and eggs at them. It was right. like they, I mean this is not, like people don't just talk about it. There were actually there was action being taken against these Hummers. Yeah, you would be ostracized if you were driving around a Hummer. It was considered like the most opulent thing you could do. So Damon Stoudemire and Rashid Wallace, they're driving uh in a yellow Hummer doing 84 in a 70. And uh, they get pulled over and presumably like <laughs> clouds of marijuana smoke come billing out of the driver's side window. A state trooper <laughs> strolls up to the window 
and uh, writes them up. They both agree to like a plea bargain. All's forgiven. Again, marijuana infraction, not a big deal. But, you know, 15, 16 years ago, it wasn't uh, it wasn't the most, um, you know, it was just different times, different times. Well, sm- smoking and driving. Yeah. It's still illegal. Yeah. Right? A, so yeah, the, what, that, that is an illegal act to yes. be under the influence while operating a vehicle, especially yes. one of that size. We talked about Damon Stoudemire smuggling an ounce and a half of weed onto an airplane. We're trying to smuggle an ounce and a half of weed onto an airplane. Again, he wrapped it in tinfoil, sent it through a metal detector at the Tucson airport. He was eventually fined $250,000 and was suspended for three months. And uh, yeah, I mean, Spence, the rest of his career kind of under constant media scrutiny. So that was no small thing. Bonzi Wells, Bonzi Wells infamously uh, alienated the entire Blazers fan base once by saying that they didn't matter. Uh, he, he said, uh, he, he was talking with a reporter after a game and, and said, quote, we're not really going to worry about what the hell the fans think of us. They don't really matter to us. They can boo us every day, but they're still going to ask for our autographs. If they see us on the street, that's why they're the fans and we're the NBA players. Yeah. Um, so that came yeah. after a, a loss when the Blazers were being booed. So Bonzi Wells didn't exactly, uh, warm himself up with the fans. But, but like, look, here's the, here's the thing. Yeah. Like I said, one professional sports team. Yeah. Now we have two. We have a soccer team now, but right. we didn't back then. Right. And there was one thing that every single person in Portland cared about, and it was the Portland Trailblazers, right? It's like what brought everyone together in Portland outside of the granola and the beer and the weed. But it was like... Everyone's was such hopes a, and dreams were riding on these guys. Yeah, and and it sho- the emotion still shows in what was then the Rose Garden, now the Moda Center. Yeah. People... It's a loud stadium, whether they're cheering, whether they're booing. And when during this time period where we felt like we had a lot more than what the guys were giving, they they heard about it. And look, I'm glad that Bonzi Wells said this because it means that whatever's happening in the stadium and what's happening with the fans is actually recognized by the players, which is like a fun recognition of the yeah. effort that the fans the put passion. in. The passion, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, what do you remember about Quintel Woods? Like, what do you remember his about braids. his game? His braids. <laughs> I just remember his braids. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the tightest braids. I, rem- I remember he didn't play much. Yeah, uh, that's he... the thing. Like, I read all these stories about Quintel Woods, uh, you know, like researching the Jailblazers, and I'm like, God damn, I can't remember much about this guy's game on the court, but... Well, uh, he, was, he, he was one of the guys, I'm pretty sure, like, out of high school, he was on, like, Slam Magazine and stuff. Like, he was like was. a... He was yeah. like a big, big deal coming out of high school. Right. I, 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 you're going to have to, I mean, we might have to research this because I actually don't know the answer, but was he drafted by the Blazers? And then what was his draft position? Because I thought he was like way drafted up high in the draft. First round, first round, 21st pick selected by oh. the Trailblazers in 2002. Okay. There it Not is. Not as high as I thought. Yeah. So Quintel Woods uh, once tried to use a basketball card as ID after being pulled over by the police. This is That's... March <laughs> March 2003. He's a year into the league. Uh, Quintel Woods was once cited when he was stopped for speeding and an officer smelled marijuana coming out of his Cadillac. When the officer asked for a license and registration, Woods only offered his basketball card and two credit cards, leading to charges of driving while uninsured and operating a motor vehicle without a license. I mean, that's I mean, classic this, stuff. That's stuff that I would do, though. Like, if I was an NBA player, Absolutely. I'd carry my own card around. Of course. I'd be like, hey, I don't know if you know me. basketball card with you. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Like, I don't know if you've recognized me from 
the NBA, but <laughs> here's my trading card. Of course, of course. Uh, in a, on a, on Don't more, look at the stats on the back. No. On a more serious <laughs> note, he also got busted a year later for uh, running an underground dogfighting ring out of his home. So right, this is pre-Michael Vick. Uh, it's 2004. And uh, yeah, Woods was implicated for abandoning a wounded pit bull in an alley behind his home in Portland. Cops searched his property and found evidence that he was running an organized dogfighting ring. And they eventually removed six injured pit bulls. And um, yeah, the team waived him almost immediately after that. So not, 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 the, uh, not the best look for Quintel Woods. Um, I'm not sure he if he ever... He kept playing in the NBA after he, that. Did he really? He resurfaced? I, I thought so. Wow. I think you're right. He may have had a cup of coffee. I forget if it was... Oh, uh, he definitely went to Europe. Did the Knicks sign him? He was waived by the Celtics and oh, subsequently God. signed with the New York Knicks. God damn it. Ugh. Yep. There you go. Full there circle. Go. Both our backyards. Darius Miles once cursed out Mo Cheeks in a film session using a racial slur. He was the guy that used to do the... He was like the first head tap guy, Darius yeah. Miles. He would do like the bull horns. He'd like tap both temples at the same time. Kind That's of. right. That's right. Man, what do you remember about Darius Miles? He was one of the high school kids, right? Like, he he yeah. went straight from high school to the NBA, right? Yeah, I, I mean, look, him and Quintel Woods, in my mind, are very the same similar person? type. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, they I they both had braids. They Long, both, like, wing players that could dunk, yeah, right? Yeah, they, like, really, they both kind of had the same sort of impact on the Blazers, to be honest. It was, it was almost just negative what they brought to the table, but his head tapping was definitely something that I really appreciated. Yeah, so Darius Miles had to be disciplined several times during the 2005 season. Um, he would basically show up late to practices. He had just behavioral issues and was suspended by the Blazers for two games after a verbal altercation with Mo Cheeks during a film session, reportedly used a racial slur. Apparently, according to Stephen A. Smith, Mo Cheeks was so upset that he actually considered resigning. But I guess this wasn't the first time that Mo Cheeks was the subject of uh, a player ire. Bonzi Wells was once suspended for a game in March 2003 for cursing out Cheeks during a practice. And then during a game, he was suspended for two games for a profanity-laced diatribe uh, aimed at Cheeks on the court. So two weeks later, Bonzi Bonzi Wells was traded to Memphis and... um, yeah, man. Uh, yeah, Mo Cheeks. It sounds like a lot of players didn't uh, didn't really get along with him. Yeah. Well, so here's the thing about Mo Cheeks. Mm-hmm. We we weren't sure about him for a long time. People were starting to get a little bit nervous that maybe the players had something right to say about this. And then there was the incident uh, at home where he uh, the the woman singing the national anthem. I think it was a child. Uh-huh. was struggling with the lyrics and so Mo Cheeks <laughs> went to center court and helped her sing the national anthem and wow. just won over the hearts of everyone in Portland. Right. So after that we were just we were so pro Mo Cheeks there was nothing that could be said or done about him that would make people think otherwise it was such a kind hearted gesture. So uh, that's kind of where we netted on him right before he got canned um, and then we were like oh that's a bummer <laughs> and then wow. now he's isn't he the assistant now on a really good team? Yeah, he's an assistant for, is it Oklahoma City? Maybe that's where I see him. Yeah, he's on games on national TV. That's all I right. know. Like, he's an assistant for one of, like, the prominent Western Conference teams. I think it's Oklahoma yes. City. Yeah. Yeah. Ruben Patterson. Ruben Patterson once uh, sexually assaulted his au pair. 
this is, a, well, in, in all fairness, this is when he was playing for the Seattle Supersonics. This occurred in September 2000. Ruben Patterson admitted to a plea agreement to third-degree attempted rape stemming from a sexual encounter with his family nanny. He served 15 days Jesus. in jail. And then the Bla- the Blazers signed him a few months later. Um, he was again arrested in 2002 for domestic violence, but those charges were dropped. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, many of the Blazers, Patterson feuded with the coaching staff. He was once suspended in 06 for a run-in with Nate McMillan. He was traded a year after that. I mean, this just seemed like the worst possible guy to bring into the locker room. I can't imagine, like, how you have third-degree rape charges against you, and then you're signed a couple months later as a free agent. Let's just say if this was happening today, that never would have happened. It but never the, the fact of the matter back then, it was just, I mean, if you look at this the roster of people and like what they were accused of and what was going on in the NBA, this almost like, I'm not going to say it's a dime a dozen because not everybody was doing this, but there was certainly more of it happening and it was just like passed over. I mean, yeah, Ray even, Allen, dude, kill, I mean, not Ray Allen, Woods sorry. Thing, the, the Quintel yeah. Woods thing with him like in the dogfighting, like again, he dis- was doing all the stuff that Michael Vick was doing, but somehow didn't take quite the same, you know what I mean? Didn't quite catch like all the same flack. Granted, he wasn't as good of a player as, as Michael Vick was, but it was just like, it was a different era, you know, like where PR was different and you could, I, I, I don't know, Ruben Patterson had a third degree attempted rape charge, did 15 days in jail, and then a few months later was signed as a free agent with the Blazers. Uh, it could never happen today. Right. It couldn't, and it shouldn't. But that's what—that's the lessons learned over time, I suppose. The thank God. But look, the the whole thing, what happened here, and what went forward during this time period, was not something that anybody in Portland is proud of. I mm-hmm. think it was again reflected by the fans back to the management. And since this has all taken place and finished, we have moved forward only drafting people of character that's like true. this is this the portland trailblazers literally go out of their way drafting people who they know will be good for the community that's why we have right that's why we have cj mccollum yes damian lillard damian lillard right yes that's why we drafted lamarcus aldridge that's right like all these guys brandon who roy are, yeah yeah yes brandon roy it's like these guys who are just upstanding citizens and literally are amazing people for the community um yeah. It just turns out that a lot of them have been really, really good basketball players. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited to see where this is going. But I mean, it has been like a full, uh, yeah, they definitely, they've definitely come full circle. We can't, we can't gloss over Zach Randolph. I do feel like we have yeah. to talk about the incident of Zach Randolph punching Ruben Patterson during a practice and shattering his <laughs> eye socket. Is it not crazy how long he's been in the NBA? Like he oh. had a whole career at, oh. in Portland, but no one will ever even remember that. Marty, we'll only remember had, him on Memphis. He's had like a 15, 18 year career. I mean, he's and like it, literally in like the third or fourth act of his career. But yeah, to your point, he had a whole phase of his career where he was very much like, yeah, he was a jailblazer. He was trouble. You know, like Zach Randolph was for sure trouble. And it's interesting. I don't know if... Um, 
if the stuff that he did then, if he could still get away with it now. I mean, he punched a teammate in practice and shattered his eye socket. I know, who's the guy in the Bulls that just did this last year? Bobby Portis, right? <laughs> yeah, Portis, Bob, yeah. Bob, Bobby, I know Bobby Portis just did this with uh, Nico Miritich. Yeah, just I, I just wonder if, I mean, Zach Randolph had a rap sheet. I mean, so let's, let's detail the Ruben Patterson incident real quick. So Ruben Patterson had sort of developed, this is the guy that uh, sexually assaulted the au pair. Ruben Patterson had sort of developed a reputation uh, among the team for like bullying younger teammates. And right. Zebo wasn't, you know, he wasn't going to back down and he was just like not cool with any of that. So, and also Zebo, his style of play was very much like bruising and physical, playing in the post. He's throwing elbows in practice. And so he relishes opportunities to battle vets in the post. So Ruben Patterson um, had been taunting and targeting Zach Randolph and it all culminated in, in a 2003 practice when Ruben started arguing with Quintel Woods and Zebo came over to then rookie Quintel Woods' defense and just sucker punches Patterson, fractures his eye socket. It's reported that Zebo spent a few days hiding out at Dale Davis's house because he was afraid that Patterson Dale was going to... Davis. Yeah, dude, he oh, was afraid man. that Patterson was going to try to shoot him. So <laughs> the Blazers wound up suspending Randolph for two games and fined him $100,000, but he legit spent a few nights at Dale Davis's house because he didn't want to get shot and killed by Ruben Patterson. That's incredible. Dale Davis. <laughs> yeah, Dale Davis. Bruising Dale Davis, uh, formerly of the Indiana Pacers. Yeah, man, he he was traded for Jermaine O'Neal. Jermaine O'Neal went to Indiana yep. for Dale Davis. Yeah. Yep. Um, Zach Randolph also racked up a, a, a bunch of other infractions before and after being traded to the Knicks in 2007. Uh, he, you know, he was... He was drafted by the Blazers into the NBA and, you know, like a lot of young, impressionable kids with tumultuous, unstable upbringings, he he brought a whole crew of his friends with him to Portland. I don't know how much you know about this, but he brought his friends with him to live in Portland and they formed an entourage called HOOP. Does this ring a bell? Helping others overcome problems is what that acronym stands for, HOOP. And uh, in reality, you know, these guys were basically a walking liability and uh, they were constantly in trouble with the Portland Police Department. They were on the radar with like gang enforcement with the Portland Police Department. And uh, yeah, during his Blazers years, Randolph lived, uh, you know, full time in a mansion and his neighbors would frequently report hearing gunshots, late night races with all-terrain vehicles. I mean, it was just, it was a lot. It was a lot. Um, a few months before he, or after he was traded to the Knicks in 2007, I read that Zebo returned to Portland to host a giant New Year's Eve party at a now-closed hip-hop club called The Greek Cuisina. <laughs> what a name for a hip-hop yeah. club. So there was a huge brawl that broke out involving more than 50 people. 50 people. Yeah. Uh, no charges were ever filed, but many Portlanders still hold Zebo uh, liable and responsible for getting one of the city's oldest, most beloved clubs shut down. So That sounds right. Yeah. He went out with a bang. Yeah, man. Um, all right. So let's just talk big picture here. Why, is, why, why are these teams, why are these players so interesting to us? Why do we care so much about the Jailblazers? I mean, that's easy. Uh, we always have cared and will continue to care about what happens off the court with like who these people are, right? Like yes. we see a version of them that is on the court 
as turned on, as aggressive as playing basketball. But we're so curious. It's the same way that celebrity works, right? Like, what are they doing? Why, why are paparazzi snapping these photos of these people offline? It's just everyone wants to know who they really, really are. And with social media, we've gotten an, a whole new look at yes. what's going on behind the scenes that we never had before. And it's it's fascinating, right? Like, these kids are now coming up. And they're broadcasting their entire lives on social media. Like Joel Embiid, like he is such a personality outside of the court that if it was only his on-court presence, we would think he's a really mean, tough guy. Like right. he plays basketball at a very high level, very mean, very tough. But he broadcasts his personal life and he's just a giant, soft, you know, gummy yes. bear. Like he he's totally friendly. A goof. So yeah. yeah, and I mean he's I mean he's aggressively funny, right? Like he goes after people too, which is great. But like it's just this side that we always wanted to know more about. And with the jailblazers, we got this drama unfolding that we had never seen before. That was outrageous. It was like, what are these, like, what are these guys doing with their money? Like, this is insane. They need, they all needed babysitters, right? Like totally. they needed somebody to take their hand and be like, this is bad. This is good. Yeah. And, and it was just really, it was fun for us to take a backseat to it all at, because it's not at our expense. But in all reality, like these guys were going through so much shit, and they yeah, just man. needed, they just needed a little bit more guidance. I don't even know. Structure, yeah, yeah, a little help. I think right. also to your point, like you know, it really was just this tinderbox of it was just so combustible. You know what I mean? Like, yes, they, they, they were all personalities and they all had issues and they were going through things and whatever, but also the environment was just so ripe for things imploding. Like we can't stress enough that this is the only professional sports team in Portland at the time. And so it, you basically had four fan bases. Imagine, you know, a pro football team fan base, a pro ba baseball team fan base, and a pro hockey team fan base. All of those people concentrated their energy attention on the jailblazers. And so every little thing that happened with this team was magnified. And um, I, I also just think that they were really good. I mean, that's also why they were so interesting and why we care so much about their missteps is that they were a loaded team, man. Like, they should have... They should have dethroned the Lakers. We we wanted them to dethrone the Lakers. We wanted them to win a title so badly, um, and they were fun to watch. You know, it's it's easy to get wrapped up in the on court and off court drama with the personalities, the the mishaps, and all that stuff. But the fact of the matter is, they played great basketball too. Um, yeah. And it was always dramatic. Also, the fans, the fan, like just watching. Uh, uh, I grew up in New York as an East Coast kid. You know, watching the fans at the Rose Garden, they were the most rabid fans. You know, those games, those matchups. I remember them being broadcast on NBC against the Lakers, against you know whether it was the Jazz, the Lakers, whatever the Rockets. They were just nuts. They were just a nutty fan base. It was always so cool to watch those games. They were so passionate. Yeah, I mean that that that's why we care about the Jailblazers. They were kind of the uh, they were kind of infamous and they were outlaws. They were the outlaws of the NBA. Yeah, yeah. So in conclusion, here, what are uh, what were some of the net results with the Jailblazers? I guess the Blazers and Rashid specifically were one of the reasons that the NBA increased penalties for technical fouls, right? That's correct. I mean, there was a lot of there's a lot of results or that came out of the back end that I touched on briefly, like what this meant to Portland and what how it changed the way that we played basketball. Yep. 
so I think that's worth. There's one thing that we didn't talk about. Um, yeah. So the impact that Shaquille O'Neal had on our organization was that we drafted Greg Oden over wow. Kevin Durant. Wow. Which we, I mean, look, there were billboards up, honk once for Oden, honk twice for Durant before the draft because we had already secured the number one draft position. Yeah. And I would always honk once. Like I believed, and it you was maybe just ingrained in me. That a big man who was unstoppable and ambidextrous was just somebody that we needed in Portland based on what had happened to us in the past. Now, look, hindsight is always a bitch, but in this case, it really did bite hard. Um, obviously, Kevin Durant uh, is a very good player. Not that he would have stayed in Portland because he didn't stay in Oklahoma City, but he is—he's uh, you know a top two player in the NBA. So top three, whatever, you know, people are going to at me. But that made a huge, what we're talking about, it made a huge impact on how we drafted. Um, it made not only, like, it started with Greg Oden, but then it went down the ri- the list, right? Like, we had Brandon Roy. Unfortunately, he had injuries. LaMarcus Aldridge, Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum. And it continues to go on like that. So, man, I didn't even really consider that angle, that perspective of, the Blazers targeting a big man in response to losing to Shaq, being being tortured by the Lakers all those years. Yeah, I mean, t- I, I first of all, I totally support the drafting of Greg Oden. I think you know that was he was the consensus no, number one overall pick. I mean that like that to me was like I remember when people were talking about do you draft Peyton Manning or Ryan Leaf, and it was like you got to be kidding me. You draft Peyton Manning. I felt like the same way with Greg Oden. It was like hey, I think the other guy is going to be great. No, like this is not, nothing wrong with Kevin Durant. He's going to be a great player, but Greg Oden seemed like a once in a generation talent. And uh, what do you remember? Can can you can you tell us something about the Greg Oden years? Like, what do you remember about watching him as a fan growing yeah. up? Man, I I've been to games where he played. Like, I yeah. we had so much hope for so long that like you know because he would he would come and around he would come and go. So like it was like he would get hurt, but then he'd play like twenty games. And when he played, he was a fu- he was a monster. Yeah, he was a monster. Like, even when, when he played, he, right? Yes, and yeah. when he played in the NBA, he was a monster. Like he, the, I think he played. I, he was healthy for maybe like 20, 30 games yeah. uh, his rookie year, yeah. and he was just a beast. And then he, you know, he landed awkwardly, hurt his knee, and that was yep. the end of the story. I mean, he came back for like five, ten game stints here and there, but we had him for a while. I think we had him for his whole rookie contract, which is three years. So yeah. he was around, and we just kept wanting him to be healthy. That's all we ever wanted. Yeah, because uh, there was never any issue with him on the court. Like, when he played, he delivered the goods. He was exactly what we thought he was going to be, which was like Bill Russell 2.0, right? Like, he was right. a defensive monster who was developing a serious post game. He was going to be a force to be reckoned with, and it was just all health-related. And then it became personal issue stuff. He struggled with alcohol and just it all kind of fell apart i think he kind of fell into a depression and and all of that but uh it was just it's such a shame man because he he really had the physical tools and he had the game on the court he was great yeah he really was wow i never considered that that's the reason that they went in that direction was because of Shaq tormenting him um wow all right yeah so net results so the team sort of focused on high character guys like you were saying they traded off bonzi wells they traded off rashid wallace they traded off zebo they let stoudemire walk in free agency and then they'd eventually draft brandon roy lamarcus damian lillard cj mccollum all these very high character guys that the community could kind of get behind um rashid wallace went on to win an nba finals with the pistons 
He vanquished the Lakers. He retired from the NBA in 2013 with a record for most technical fouls, 317. My guy. Wrap your head around that. Bonzi Wells left the NBA in 2009. Bonzi had uh, stints in China and Puerto Rico. Um, I guess a year or two ago at the age of 40, he suffered a heart attack at his home in Indiana, but he managed to live, and he's still he's still around today. Damon Stoudemire was busted with weed at uh, the Tucson airports. He was suspended for three months, fined $250,000. Um, in 2005, he signed with the Grizzlies, but then, you know, spent the last few years of his career marred with injuries. And then, uh, yeah, he now coaches college basketball, I read, at the University of Pacific in Stockton, California. That's the Jailblazers. Any any last thoughts, impressions that you want to share with the, the audience about the, uh, the Portland Jailblazers, Marty? I mean, they will forever hold a piece of my heart. I have a poster at home on the wall yeah. of the Mighty Mouse tattoo on Damon Stoudemire's arm. Wow. Uh, I mean, this is something that I, it helped build so much of my own character watching these guys on and off the court Yep. and how I model my game after uh, mm-hmm. years and years and years later. Uh, and it's also given me the ability to appreciate what Portland has now. I uh, think these guys are really upstanding citizens who care about Portland's community. Yeah, they care about the community. Right. And that's something that you can't take from the Portland organization that we have now. And no matter how they perform uh, in the playoffs year in and year out, we are making the playoffs. We have a really good team and we have something that's really fun to watch. So uh, I think as a, as an end piece, it really has brought in the whole thing full circle for me as a fan, which I, not a lot of other organizations can really say. So that that's that to me is what's been really nice about the whole thing. Um, before I let you go, Lakers over under 49 wins this year. Over or under 49 wins. Mm. They won 35 last year to give you some perspective. No, yeah, no. I know. Well, so I do an over under with, with the Blazers versus the Lakers with a mirror, right? Yeah. So we do, I think it's like $20 a game, mm-hmm. uh, but it's based on the spread. I think okay. like the first year we did this was the last year that Kobe was playing. Right. And so I think I won like $240 off him or something ridiculous <laughs> so like good. that because the, so their over-under was so high. Uh-huh. Um, they won 35 uh, games last year. Are they going to win 49 this year? Is LeBron worth 15 wins in the Western Conference? Under. And under. I, there there is, it is. The Western Conference is too good. Yeah. I, I like Come The Western on. Conference is too good. Yeah, he's and not. The LeBron, the LeBron effect is going to have the same thing as the Kobe effect. It's like it, it is worth a lot, but it's not worth what they they set these numbers because people like you and I want to bet on LeBron, and so they have to set it high. But I think the Vegas statisticians know in their heart and oh, sorry, not in their heart, in their minds, yeah, in their brains that it's going to be an under. Yes, of course. Um, yeah, also LeBron played all 82 games last year with the Cavs. I, I find it hard to believe that he's going to be doing that again this year. All right, before you go, Marty, is there anything you want to plug? People can find all the HeadGum podcasts in iTunes, on your website, headgum.com. Anything else you want to plug? Yeah, speaking of our good friend Amir, he is launching yes. a basketball podcast called Buckets on Buckets. Monday. Okay, great, great, great. So we'll, we'll find that. We'll subscribe to that. Uh, Marty, thanks for hopping on the line. Let's do it again once the season starts and uh, enjoy the offseason. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Chris. All right. Thanks, brother. All right. That was a conversation with Marty. Michael, Marty, thanks very much. 
My name's Chris Wendelkin. This is On The Line. You can tweet at me at OnTheLine underscore pod. I'm on Instagram. You can always send me any of your NBA thoughts, questions, ideas uh, at OnTheLinePod at gmail.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show in iTunes. Enjoy NBA offseason, and I will talk to you guys next week. 